millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The endless stretch of wild. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wyoming Highway had taken its toll on me. The night seemed to stretch on forever, and the monotonous rhythm of the road hummed through the cab of my truck. I knew I needed a break, a moment to stretch my legs and clear my head. The rest up ahead, though old and seemingly abandoned, offered a glimmer of respite from the relentless darkness. As I pulled into the rest stop, the dim glow of the few flickering overhead lights revealed the stark desolation of the place. It was as if time had forgotten this desolate corner of the world. Cracked concrete and overgrown weeds marked the once well-maintained parking lot, and the restroom stood as eerie graffiti covered monuments to the past. 
With a sigh, I maneuvered my truck into a parking space near the crumbling restroom building, hoping for a brief reprieve from the road. I shut off the engine and stepped out into the chilly Wyoming night. The air felt crisp against my face as I decided to light a cigarette, the glowing embers casting eerie shadows as they danced in the darkness. It was an ordinary night, at least until I heard it. The noises came from deep within the woods surrounding the rest stop, chilling and unnatural. Strange rustlings, growls, and eerie whispers that seemed to beckon me into the dark. I shook my head, dismissing the sounds as tricks of the night, but they persisted, scratching at the edges of my consciousness. Desperation for a cigarette went over the gnawing unease, and I continued to smoke, determined to ignore the noises. But I couldn't shake the feeling that something lurked out there, just beyond my sight. I had to see what was making those sounds, even if it was just to put my mind at ease. Leaving my nearly finished cigarette behind, I ventured out into the night. The gravel crunched underfoot as I approached the edge of the woods, the trees casting long, ominous shadows in the pale moonlight. My heart raced, and every step felt heavier than the last. And then I saw them, glowing eyes in the distance, shimmering like malevolent orbs. At first I thought they were just the reflections of nocturnal creatures, but as I drew closer the truth became inescapable. They weren't mere animals, they were werewolves. Standing upright, these creatures were tall and menacing, their bodies covered in dark fur that glistened in the moonlight. They had massive muscular frames, and their faces were twisted into horrifying snarls, revealing rows of gleaming, razor-sharp teeth. The glow in their eyes seemed to emanate from the depths of their souls. Fear clenched at my heart, and I stumbled backward, my breath quickening. The werewolves had noticed me, and they were moving toward me, growling and snapping their jaws. Panic surged through me as I turned and sprinted back toward my truck, with trembling hands, I fumbled for my keys, praying that the engine would roar to life. The growls grew louder, the thundering footsteps closing in. As the engine roared to life, I slammed my foot on the gas pedal and sped away from the nightmarish creatures that had haunted the rest stop. My heart pounded, and a cold sweat covered me as I glanced in the rearview mirror. The werewolves had vanished into the inky blackness, and I was left to wonder if what I had witnessed was real are merely a product of exhaustion and the dark woming night. As I continued down the desolate highway, the encounter haunted my thoughts. I couldn't shake the feeling that I had crossed paths with something otherworldly, something that defied explanation. Swearing that this was a true story, I knew that I would carry the memories of that fateful night with me for the rest of my life a chilling reminder of the uncharted terrors that lurked in the shadows of the world. A dogman was spotted in southern Ohio by a close friend of mine at the opposite end of a bridge. It was illuminated by his taillights and emergency lights. He said he heard a scream resembling that of a woman. When he stopped the car to make sure it wasn't his engine, he saw what appeared to be two eyes reflecting light, similar to a coyote or wildcat behind him on the bridge. He mentioned that these eyes then elevated by about five or six feet, 
and a humanoid figure started moving toward him. The creature was hairless, but it pointed ears and a snout like a dog with thin shoulders and gray skin that seemed tightly stretched over its bones. He added that his mind could hardly believe his eyes, because he thought he was witnessing a real-life wolf without any hair. Understandably, he immediately accelerated away from the scene. We would greatly appreciate any information you can provide, and if you happen to know an expert in the area, it would be greatly helpful. This incident occurred quite close to our hometown. I was late for a clean-up the trails work hike. I decided to just go off on my own since I made the trip and people I knew were leaving. This wasn't late at night, but the result was pretty creepy. So I'm wandering around different trails when I see this area with willow-type trees. There was a path that was overgrown that the young kid in me wanted to explore. I soon entered a shaded area with less foliage. On the ground, there was a child's backpack with girls' clothes strewn about. The sight was unexpected. The clothes were filthy. I looked around and nobody was there, so I started to explore the area. I found a small blackened burned hole in the ground. Inside were two burned drivers licensed. Then I looked over a small distance and saw the top of a blue tarp after a decline. My heart started beating now. I walked over to the tarp. There was another girl's backpack next to the tarp, pink girl's underwear and a school notebook makeup kit all strewn about next to the tarp. Typing this feels strange, like it didn't really happen. I remember my heart beating and preparing myself for what was under the tarp. I pull it up and there's a shovel. That's it, just a shovel, which was better than a body but still macabre in a way. Then I heard a noise. I grabbed the girl's notebook and ran the hell out of there so fast all the way back to my ex-postal van. I start reading the notebook. It's a high school girl's notebook. She talks about boys and running away. At least those are the things I remember. And she scribbles all these little doodles. Then I found a page with names and phone numbers. I start calling down the list. I'll never forget the first person to answer, David King. I tell him I found a girl's backpack and that I just want to make sure she's okay. I knew her name from the notebook, and he said he didn't know her, but his daughter was in high school. Maybe it was her friend. But it was his name in her notebook, he answered to David. I told him I was going to call the police to make sure she was all right. The guy directly told me there was no need to do that. He said it in the sketchiest way, which added to the bizarreness. So I called the police and tell them the story. Then I told them I'd try to take care of it myself, but if it got weird, I'd call back. I expected her to say not to involve myself, that they'd take a look, but she was just like okay, and that was it. I kept calling numbers and get in touch with a guy who says he knows her. He actually says he's on the way to see her at that moment. He tells me she'll call me back. I grabbed the dog, away, spray that came with my ex-postal van, and went back for the backpack. When I got there, I put all her things inside and then left. The girl called me. She said it was her backpack that got stolen at a party. She gave me a new number to call her the next day, and we would meet up somewhere. When I called the next day, though, it was that guy again the one who said he knew her. 
The weird thing was the guy sounded old, and she was obviously young, so it was creepy. The guy tells me she's not feeling well and that she just wants me to meet up with him and he'll give it to her. He wants me to meet up with him in front of a liquor store. I should mention that I previously headed her confirm info from the notebook, so I knew it was actually her. I tell the guy that I'm not meeting up with him in front of a liquor store, but he puts the girl on and she says she doesn't feel well and it would be a big favor, so like an idiot, I agree. I park around the corner from this liquor store. It's pretty ridiculous, this meetup. Like I'm doing a drug deal, except it's a girl's backpack with her school stuff. And the guy, he's like in his 40s, dark-skinned with a scraggly gray goat thing on his chin. The guy is thankful. He tells me not to worry about the girl because he has her protectors, which obviously made me worry. This is where the story gets bad from my point of view. I did nothing. The police did nothing. It was obvious to me the girl was a runaway and this guy was either pimping her or, or drugging her or who knows what. The David King guy was probably a John or something. It reminded me of the movie Taxi Driver, except I pussied out and did nothing. Just went on with my life. I guess the girl was alive and got her backpack, so there's that. It just felt like I was suddenly obligated to save this girl based on fate or something, and I wasn't up to the task. During the years between 1965 to 1974, I lived in Pontiac Mitch. I was a teenager at that time. Many local teens and teens from other surrounding area would go to an area called Bald Mountain. On this property, there was a blockhouse with bars on all the windows and steel door. On the door, Wolfbane was painted local legend was that a man was found in the house with his throat ripped out and that he thought there was a werewolf living in the surrounding woods. I have tried to researching this story, but can't find anything. I have often wondered if this was the dog man having spent many weekends at his house and having many strange experiences. Do you have anyone telling you stories about this house? Sadly, the area was blocked off by police to keep people. From getting in any help you can give me about area would be appreciated. Thank you. My story takes place in 1964 near Seneth, Missouri. You may have already heard of the Seneth Light, but they aren't as well known as other lights. So I will tell you what I've heard about them. It has taken me 53 years to talk about this except to my wife and children, and even now I don't know how I feel about it. I guess I need to know if anyone can explain what happened. I grew up near a small town in the Booth Hill of Missouri and graduated in the spring of 1964. My dad had just bought a 1962 Chevy Impala, cherry red hardtop convertible, and I thought it was the sweetest car I had ever seen. This will be important to the story shortly. I grew up with my cousin Bill on my dad's side and my cousin Rudy on my mother's side, and Rudy's best friend was Kenneth. We were all bumming around in my dad's new car, and we happened to pick up another friend named Mike, who was hitchhiking into town. We had no plan, so someone suggested we go see the Seneth Light. 
The legend is that you park your car, turn the lights and engine off, and you may get to see them. While they're around, you can't get your car started, and you can't get near enough to them to actually catch them. The group of college kids are supposed to have made an attempt to find out what they are, and according to the stories, they surrounded one and closed the circle on it, and it just disappeared before they could find out what it was. We decided to go even though Kenneth wasn't too enthused about it. We went down the dirt road next to a field and turned around facing the way we came in. On the other side of the field, there was a drainage ditch full of rainwater. The field past the drainage ditch was completely underwater, except for a small island way out in the middle of the field. I'm not sure if that field was a rice field or if it was just flooded from the recent heavy rains. After a while, Kenneth got bored and decided to take a walk. We all figured he would try to sneak up on us and scare us, so we all kept watching for him. After another 45 minutes to an hour with no action, we all got pretty bored and decided to leave, but Kenneth wasn't back yet. We honked the horn and shouted to him. Then we listened for an answer. At first, we didn't hear anything, but then we heard a very faint voice saying, Help me. We finally located the direction, and it was coming from the flooded field. I tried to move the car so I could point the headlights in that direction, but my car would not start. We all got a little nervous, but couldn't think of anything else to do but keep trying. After what had to be five minutes of trying, I finally got it started and turned the car toward the voice. During all this time, we could still hear him calling out to us to help him. The headlights reached the little dry island in the middle of the field, and we could actually see Kenneth. There were about a dozen trees on the island, and he was sitting on the ground, leaning against one of them. Mike stayed in the car while my two cousins and I started to go out there. We realized we would have to walk through the flooded field, so we took off our shoes and socks and rolled our pants legs up above our knees. We made it to him, and he was just sitting there moaning and sort of delirious and still asking for help. I shined the flashlight on him, and he had three scratches across his forehead that were almost dripping blood, but mostly just abrasion. We tried to get him to tell us what happened, but couldn't get anything out of him. We were really scared by this time and all got the strong feeling of being watched. My cousins were both big boys, so they picked him up, one on each side, and carried him back to the car. I followed behind and felt like it was the longest walk I had ever experienced. We got him into the back seat of the car and we decided we needed to get him to town and try to see a doctor. He had a very high fever and his head was hurting terribly. I started driving and all of a sudden he went absolutely crazy and started kicking the door and window trying to get out of the car. The two guys in back with him couldn't hold him down and he kicked so hard he left his foot imprints in the upholstery on the door. Kenneth was always the most respectful person I've ever known regarding other people's property and he would never have done damage to my dad's new car if he was in his right mind. He finally settled down and we were able to get some information from him. He said he was just walking along the dirt road, and the next thing he knew, it felt like he was floating or being carried. He woke up and started trying to call us, but he didn't know for sure how he got there. Or how he got the scratches. We got to town and decided we had better clean the mud off us, so we pulled into a little drive in Hamburger Place. We got out, and the three of us started to go inside to clean up and told Kenneth that he should go with us so he could get the mud off himself. The really weird thing is, 
He had no mud on him, and he still had his shoes and socks on. We have no idea how he got out there. To my knowledge, none of us ever spoke about that night with each other. I don't know why we didn't, but it just seemed like we didn't really want to know what happened. Kenneth was killed in Vietnam, so we may never know what really happened. If he pulled a fast one on us, he really did a number on all of us. You've probably heard of Bigfoot, Mothman, and the like. Those are the ones who attract all of the cryptid chasers. What you haven't heard of, I bet, is the Bighorn Grove Pine Crawler. Most people haven't heard of Bighorn Grove at all, so that'll tell you how successful it was at reeling people in. I mean, Mothman is a neat idea. Big red eyes, huge wings, all that cool stuff. And Bigfoot is a big old ape. Now, that's a lot of fun. The pine crawler, he ain't that. The sightings describe him as having shaggy fur covering its head and torso, like one of them bearded collie dogs. But his limbs are hairless, scrawny, and twice the average dude's height, with claws big enough to wrap around trees and a membrane between the limbs, like the one that those flying squirrels have. You see them blurry pictures of Bigfoot walking by a tree or Mothman flying through the air, you wouldn't get that with a pine crawler. According to the stories, he used his freakishly long limbs to climb around the treetops and grab at its prey. But since our boy is nocturnal and he lurks at the top of the trees, nobody got any pictures of him. Imagine that, a cryptid without even a blurry image. Now that's just poor. The only real images were some sketches made from the witnesses' descriptions and a picture of the night sky and the treetops taken by witness right before it moved away from the camera. Let's talk about the witnesses in question, by the way. The mayor, Oliver Miller, had always been talking about how we needed more tourism in Bighorn Grove. The population of the town was around 2,000 in the 70s, and visitors weren't common. Mayor Miller thought that a lot of profit could be made from tourists, but we liked our town the way it was, small, quiet. His attempts to attract tourists were known to us, however, so when his son, Michael, as well as his college-aged friends, witnessed the pine crawler for the first time in 71, everyone chalked it up to good old Miller seeking visitors. Sightings of the creature from elderly folk, teenagers, and drunks piled up over the next decade, none of which were taken seriously, of course. In 79, Miller unveiled a statue of the pine crawler, which was ridiculous considering that nobody outside of the town had ever heard of the thing. People passing by the statue took to calling it Ollie after our dear old mayor. Around the start of the 80s, though, the killing started. A kid staying in his grandparents' cabin for the weekend claimed that his grandpa was carried into the forest while teaching him how to hunt. Two days later, they found the body. His legs were broken, and it appeared that his heart had given out not long after the injury. The mayor tried to insinuate that the pine crawler was responsible, to which he received no small amount of backlash. The townsfolk consider themselves a rational lot. They figured that some kind of murderer was roaming the woods. A month later, a car was seen crashed into a tree on the roadside. 
The cops found the owner, a young woman, much further into the forest, also with her legs broken. The cops were slower to find her than a passing black bear, however. When a man went missing whilst on a camping trip three weeks after that, a huge search party went out into the forest that night. He was found with his legs broken and his head caved in on a rock. He, however, was found outside a cabin belonging to one George Anderson. George was a Vietnam veteran, and he'd always been a bit colder after coming home. But the few that were close to him would never suspected him of doing something like this. But the chief of police was the nephew of the old man that'd been killed. The mayor probably saw catching a killer as a way to get back in the people's good graces, and George had at most four friends. So they pinned the deaths on him, and he went to jail for the rest of his days. There weren't many sightings of the pine crawler after that. It was only passed around through story. I remember some guys I knew tried to make a short film about it when they were in college, but it got about 50 views on YouTube and they took it down. I returned to Bighorn Grove recently because my dad passed away last week. Got mauled by a bear whilst on a hunting trip, no real way to sugarcoat it. I take some small comfort in the fact that he always joked that it's how he'd want to go out. Still, it's a bad way to go. I've seen the revenant in backcountry. After the funeral today, Jack invited me to come drink with him. Jack went through Vietnam with my dad, and he's always been like an uncle to me. We shared stories about him and laughed while his granddaughter, Sarah, rolled her eyes at us. The bear of all things, I sighed. Listen, kid, Jack said slowly. Kid, I'm 36. I laughed. No, really, kid. You gotta listen to this. I don't think a bear killed your pops. What do you mean, Jack? Oh, he's gonna show you his conspiracy theories. Sarah teased. Shush, now. This is serious, he snapped. He began to lead me downstairs to his basement. When the light flicked on, I was met with a wall with dozens of pictures pinned to it. Looking at them, I realized that they were pictures of a creature in the trees that fitted the description of the pine crawler. These weren't blurry either. These look to be taken with a real high-quality camera. It's real, kid. How long have you been collecting these, Jack? I asked him. Your father and I started gathering proof since George got locked up. We wanted to prove that the pine crawler did this, not him. You're saying that it killed all those people in the 80s? Why'd it stop? The old man thought that instead of driving to town for some food, he'd teach his grandson to hunt. Pinecrawler didn't like its prey being taken, decided it'd teach him a lesson. The girl in the car. Thing didn't like the noise. Most people know. Not to drive through the forest at night anyways. The camper. Well, the pinecrawler is smarter than your average bear. It saw that search parties were encroaching on its territory after the previous kills, so it snatched the camper and left him outside poor George's house to frame him. Then it stopped because people don't go near the forest at night now and it can eat all the animals at once. You've really thought about this, haven't you? And you think it killed my dad? Kid, in the last couple of months we noticed that it started killing predators recently. Wolves, mountain lions, bears. It's practically clearing the forest of them. I think that's why it killed your father while he was hunting. But why, Jack? Well, kid, I think it wants to make the area safe for its little one. Huh? He opened a box to reveal a large, reddish-brown egg. 
Jack, how'd you get this? I saw it in a tree this morning. I took a shot at the branch and it fell down. Thing barely got scratched, so I brought it back. As if to demonstrate its durability, he slammed down on it hard with his fist to no effect. I'm going to figure out a way to destroy this egg so we won't have to be dealing with a pine crawler, Junior, stated Jack. Now I'm going to go to bed. It's getting dark out. You can use the spare room. Rest sounds good. Neither of us were exactly sober, and he had just shown me some pretty strong proof of a monster existing. Despite my tiredness, I figured I'd write this down before I fall asleep. That was the plan anyway, but Sarah just told me she saw some big animal outside. It could just be a bear or something, but I'm worried. I think that the Bighorn Grove pine crawler is real, and it wants its egg back. I once went to visit my cousin's place, his friends, two twin brothers. Me and him were messing around here and there. It was a woody area, and across a certain set of trees there was an abandoned rubber factory a mile or two away from their house, so we decided to explore it. We didn't think of going there to experience anything paranormal, and that wasn't our intention either. We reached there in like 45 minutes or so. We'd jump over the fence, and there were multiple little sheds built there. Maybe they were for the workers. All of them were locked except one. One of our friends encouraged us to go check what was inside, but I insisted in not entering it cause. I was always kind of uncomfortable about the whole idea if exploring that place. The main building's door was already completely open, so I insisted on checking what was in there, and everyone agreed. We went inside, and the smell was really awful. I'm not gonna lie. It was so bad that it felt like that place lacked any oxygen. We could barely breathe. We put our shirts on our nose, and it helped with the smell to a very good extent. After that, we went further inside only to see broken, rusted machines with grease oozing out of them, and they were massive in size. I didn't really know how rubber factories worked, nor do I know now, but it was kind of fascinating to me trying to imagine how that place would have been when it was up and running. As we were looking around, my eyes locked upon a window or an opening in the wall. I don't know what it was for, but there was only one, and through it, I could see the window of the same shed, which was not locked. I tried to look closely and see a person looking at me right in the eyes. I could see it so clearly its eyes were all black, like no white layer around the pupil. White face, and he was wearing a kind of a suit, and his eyes were abnormally wide open, with no other expression on his face. The window was a little blurry cause that place was old and abandoned for like twenty-five plus years or so, but the face was clearly visible, cause it was so close to the window. I freaked out, and with my eyes fixated on it, I pulled my cousin's hand, who was right next to me, and with my hand I locked his head in the same direction, and pointed towards the window without saying anything. He said, WTF is that. I said I have no idea, and only then the figure backed off and was gone. We both were creeping out. Our friends come and ask us what happened. We said we wanted to leave immediately and that we would explain later. As we run and head back from the side where we came from, we had to go past the same shed. We didn't look towards it and ran as fast as we could. 
Our friends lagged behind cause they didn't feel the urgency to do so. Within seconds, we were out of the fence again. We were screaming for our folks to run and come back as quick as possible. We waited like five minutes until they came back. We asked what took them so long. They said they wanted to check the shed. We freaked out even more. We asked them what was in there. One of them said nothing. It was just a wooden shed with a broken table and pieces of broken wood and torn cloths were lying around. We told them what had happened and what we saw in that shed. They laughed it out, telling us that it was a good one. But they're not getting scared so easily. My cousin and I tried to convince them, but they would joke about it and not believe us. But I and my cousin know that we clear as day saw a figure peeking through the shed's window. I had never experienced anything like that before or after this incident. Don't remember the exact date, but I was visiting my parents around November 2022. I was in the living room with my father. The only other people in the house were my mother and my old sister. I heard my mother's voice call my name, clear as day. I went to her room to see what she needed. She looked at me confused when I said I heard her call out my name. I shook it off and... Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I told myself I probably just imagined it. However, I get back to the living room and my father asks, What did your mother want? I told him she never called me. We looked at each other confused, and we just shrugged and moved on with our day. Nothing crazy, and probably not even paranormal, but it did leave me feeling a bit uneasy. The clarity of the voice, and my father hearing it as well. I was a Baltimore Police Department detective, and at the time, in early 2021, I worked directly out of the Northern District in the city. On the night in question, I was in my office at home late at night in suburban Howard County, Maryland. I live alone. I often would find myself unable to sleep at night, so I would head to my office to work. That particular night, I was going through a case file that I was working on. Then I heard a noise that was unusual. 
It was just different enough from anything I was used to hearing around the house that it caught my attention, not to mention it was around two o'clock in the morning. It sounded like something heavy was hitting the ground. It was coming from the yard behind the house. I stood up and I cocked my head to the side to try and pinpoint the exact location. But as I listened closer, I realized that it sounded like it might actually be much closer to the house, like right outside the kitchen in the back. I stepped away from my desk and I moved towards my office door. My office was just down the hall from the kitchen. So I opened the door slowly and stepped out to investigate. But first I listened again to be sure I was correct on the direction it was coming from. Sure enough, I heard it again from the area outside the kitchen. I started to make my way down the hallway and as I got closer, the noise got louder. I reached the kitchen and I looked toward the door. The noise had gone silent, almost like whatever was making the noise knew I was listening to it. I slowly and very quietly opened the door to the outside. When I did, I was shocked at what I was looking at. Standing on the patio, moving around and making the noise was a creature, unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was about seven feet tall and totally covered in black and reddish brown fur. It had a long snout with teeth protruding at odd angles. The creature turned towards me when the door opened, almost like it instinctively knew I was there. I was totally quiet when I opened the door. The creature quickly focused on me and lunged toward me, hissing. I quickly stepped back inside and shut the door. I had to think fast and determine a suitable plan of action. I decided to head back to my office where I hoped to watch it undetected from my office window. I proceeded to look through the window, but it wasn't long before I heard the sounds of the creature breaking into the house through the kitchen door. I pulled out my gun and I aimed it down the hallway as I slowly opened the office door. I could hear, but not see, the creature in the kitchen. I listened as it was moving around with a lot of force and stepping heavily on the wood floor. I could also hear it snorting as it moved about. It sounded like something out of a horror film. I thought that if I just stayed quiet, it might just leave, which would have been the optimal outcome. I listened to it for a while while it moved in the kitchen, but then I heard it go into the dining room. I could hear glass breaking and furniture being shoved around. It seemed to be very angry. I finally opened my office door all the way and stepped out completely into the hallway. I slowly walked towards the dining room with my gun still raised. As soon as I got close, I peeked my head around the corner. It turned its head towards me and instantly started to growl. It had an angry look on its face with a human-like expression. I sensed that it wanted to tear me apart right there. But instead of rushing and attacking me, it suddenly went silent again. It quickly rushed back to the kitchen and hurled itself out through the back door. I didn't know what to think at that point. On one hand, I was relieved that it had left, but at the same time, I somehow felt concerned that it may return at some point. I decided then and there that I would find out more about this creature. My confusion and fear turned into anger. I wanted to know who or what this thing was and why it had come into my house. I've done a lot of research, mainly online, but it's been difficult to find anything that really matched what happened. I wondered why it came into the house and what it was looking for. The other descriptions online were generally similar. It was bipedal with pointed ears, large yellow-tinged eyes, and canine-like teeth. 
It also had a very pungent sulfur-like odor that I can still smell in my memory. My research led to your blog and my contacting you. I have many questions and would like to talk. I still live in the same house, but I currently work for another local law enforcement department. I have not seen the creature since that night, but I instinctively know that it still roams in my area. I wish to remain completely anonymous and discreet about my encounter. I'm 67 years old, and all my occurrences have happened in the Wayne National Forest in southeast Ohio. I've been roared at, growled at, and whistled at. I've heard strange voices and sounds of children playing all while bow hunting deer in the fall and turkey hunting in the spring. In the early 1990s, I and my friend Pat were scouting for deer. I was walking down a forest road, and he was off to my right across a large strip mine pond and up on a small ridge. As I came to a large game, crossing something let out a very loud roar between us. It was so loud that it shook me to my core. I yelled, Pat, was that you? I knew that there was no way that he could have done that. I ran back to camp. Sucking air a few minutes later, Pat came running into camp out of breath and asked me if I had made that sound. We discussed what it could have been. Pat said that he has heard elk make strange noises while hunting in Wyoming, but not like that. So there's no other explanation other than Bigfoot. That sound never deterred us from hunting there, and we still hunt there today. Quite a few times I've been whistled at, both bow hunting and turkey hunting. I always hang my tree stand in the same tree year after year. I have heard very strange voices like people talking really fast and children playing. One minute they're there, turn my head, look back, and they're gone. This has happened a few times. I've been growled at so many times that I've earned the nickname of Growler. I never really got concerned about it until once I was deer hunting with a crossbow. I was sitting against a tree in a small thicket watching over a large group of white oaks. Something began growling behind me. At first, it was a low growl. It eventually turned into a loud, guttural growl. That's the only time I ever got concerned enough to head back to camp with plenty of daylight left. About five years ago, I was turkey hunting and decided to go back to camp for a hot cup of coffee. Walking down an old gas line road, I came around a bend, and about 50 yards ahead of me was what I thought was another hunter. He was around five feet tall and dressed in gray. As we looked at each other, he bent over, threw his arms back, and leaped across the road into the brush. The road was ten to twelve feet wide. The figure was not heavily muscled like so many people describe. So it took me a few minutes of arguing with myself to finally decide that it was a juvenile Bigfoot, Grassman, or Sasquatch. I still get wire, haired every time I think about it. While turkey hunting in the spring of 2020, when the birds had all flown down and I was thinking about which gobbler to go after, behind me I heard a very loud baritone voice say, Hey, yeah, it scared the crap out of me. I had time to dust myself off before coming down. I thought it must have been another hunter letting me know that he was there, but it was so loud. I looked around. There's nobody there. Here's a story that my 91-year-old mother has told for years. 
when she was a young girl back in the 1940s in southern Ohio. She and some friends went to steal apples from a neighbor's apple tree that was up a large hill behind the neighbor's house. When they got to the tree, a black figure jumped out of the tree and ran away on two legs. They all ran back to the house and told the adults what they saw. They were told there was probably a black bear. The term Bigfoot wasn't known at that time. One day at my mom's house, I turned the TV onto a Bigfoot program, and my mom said, that's exactly what we saw. We were inbound for the San Francisco pilot station one evening on a container vessel, sitting there chatting on the bridge wing, and the Golden Gate Bridge appears ahead. Wait, we are still 50 miles from the bridge. But there it was, clear as day in front of us. Figured it was some sort of funky atmospheric refraction going on after a quick check of the radars and a plot on the chart. So back to the bridge wing to watch the sun go down. Beautiful sunset, calm night, weather is awesome. So the sun sets, and we sit there talking for a few minutes when all of a sudden the sun pops back into the sky. Not the slow rise from east, but it's just back in the sky, about five degrees above the horizon. What the F? We stand there in disbelief and watch the second sunset of the night. Once I was out somewhere in the South Pacific. It was calm and sunny where we were. But there were large storms past the horizon on pretty much all sides. In this calm sea, we saw a wooden raft floating. It looked handmade. There was a snapped mast and an open cooler tied to it. No passenger. Okay, so one night my husband came into our bedroom where I was already sleeping. When he opened the door, our room was dark, but he was able to see an even darker mist floating either right next to me or over me. He said it rushed by him, out the door, and dissipated. That's happened three times now. We have a lot of paranormal activity wherever we live. It doesn't really matter where. Nothing right now feels negative in any way. Mostly just bored, I think. Anyway, has anyone had any experience with a black mist hovering around them while they sleep or could just know what it is? I would like to add that I've been calling my spirit guides I had been when this was happening, so it could be that. I don't have a clue and would greatly appreciate any insight. Thanks in advance. I've lived in the house I'm in since I was a child. My parents bought the home in 2006, 2007 from an elderly man who inherited the property from his brother when he passed. The brother wanted nothing to do with the house, so he sold it to my mother for cheap. I've had the ability to sense energies and see spirits from a young age, and this house has always just given me an icky feeling, but it's always been home. Since we first moved in, I complained to my mother that there was a ghost with scary hand. That would mess with me at night in my bedroom, now my son's toy room. When my little brother was about two, three years old, he started to tell my parents that he was seeing monsters. 
One morning, he and my mother were in the bathroom, brushing their teeth and getting ready for the day, as they both saw the figure of a man walk out of what is now my son's toy room down the hallway and into the living room, where the figure just vanished. Now, this is just one of the many encounters that had happened while they still lived here with me, and much more has happened since. But for the purpose of trying to keep this as short as possible, I'll leave those out. Fast forward to now, I still have been seeing shadows peep around the corners in my hallway and just feeling an overall just ick feeling like someone has been watching me. My son is the same age my little brother was when he had started telling my parents that he was seeing monsters in the house. About a week ago, my son ran into my bedroom in tears saying that he saw a monster with scary hands and it all sounded too familiar. The house has been saged multiple times, probably more than I can count, and while it does seem to slow down the activity for a bit, whatever it is always seems to come back. It's nothing of ill intent from what I've been able to tell. It just wants to let me know that it's here. I'm tired of feeling uncomfortable in my own home, and I'm even more tired of my son being antagonized by it. If anyone can give me any advice as to how I can get this thing out, please, please help me out. I was once at a friend's house a long while ago. You couldn't really call it a party, but there were a few people there, and it was a social setting. A gathering may be a better term. I'm not good at these things, and never have been. The effort I have to go to to maintain my social graces is quite exhausting for me the majority of time, so I tend to avoid them. I would have been around 19 at the time. There were around eight, maybe nine people there, and... It was a mixture of men and women. I guess we've all been to them at one time or another. One of the women that was there was kind of new agey, believed in the goddess, crystal healing, all that stuff, which I'm not rubbishing, but in the 90s to some, this was a fad. So as the night wound on, she suggested that we did an Aoeja board. Now, I may or may not have mentioned this before, but I'm third-generation Romani and I was brought up in a family that respected the old ways. Now, if you know, you kind of know what I'm talking about with that. So in this kind of situation, I'm heading for the door. My friend whose party it was stopped me and kind of placated me, told me I was being silly, and he actually did rubbish what this woman believed and said it was a joke, so I stayed. It was, as it turned out, a mistake, all around in a lot of respects. I was sat at a distance from the table where they were convened. She was sat with a planchette, asking if there was anyone there. People were smirking and generally just disrespecting the entire thing. She kept asking for signs or if anyone was there. And that's when I started feeling uncomfortable. You ever get to feeling you're being watched? Or followed. It's like that, like an itch behind your eyes. Your scalp tingles, and you get a feeling like you need to be moving. It's an instinct bred and hardwired into you over thousands of years and generations. And then the planchette starts moving, and she's smiling and all happy that it works, and she doesn't look like a clown. So then they start asking simple questions. Will I be rich? Will I be famous? Answers are all no. Nothing unexpected. Till a guy asks if he will be married, then it spells out never. 
So he asks why. It spells out die young. All of a sudden, things take a turn. I tell her to put it down and send it back. She didn't understand what I was telling her to do, and the damn thing is spelling car accident. He laughs it all off and goes and stands in the kitchen, and in the meantime, one of the women asks if she will have kids. It spells out, never. Now, my instinct is telling me to leave, and I'm listening to it. I go and grab my coat, and as I'm leaving, the woman doing the board calls out, Your granddad has a message for you. I stopped, walked back in, and calmly said to her, You have no idea what you're doing. You're a child with a box of matches, and whatever is talking to you is not my grand. I smashed the board off the table and stormed out. In the years that passed, that guy was killed in a car accident with three other people. He was 23. The woman never did have children. And some of the other things, mainly the malicious shit, did come to pass. I don't know what it was that stupid woman called into that flat that night was, but what I will say is this. Don't play with things that call out to the dead. And if you do, make sure that what you call her was human, once because you never can be too careful. That message from my granddad, I never did hear it. And the woman that did the board, I never did see her again. Okay, I'm come here because something happened to me literally seconds ago, and I'm very disturbed. I hope you guys can give me some recommendations. So it is like this. I waked up at 2 a.m., and I couldn't sleep. Sorry for my bad English. Then I stayed awake more and less to 4 a.m. with cell phone. After that, at 4, 14, more and less, I tried to sleep. I open up my eyes and see a face what was all gray with white eyes and it had horns. I was thinking, what was it? And after I watched that for seconds, my heart beat harder. My legs and arms moved in fear and the thing was watching me. I was starting to get a distorted and creepy voice. After that, it closes my eyes. Stayed, you know, praying for God. Then I open it up again. There was nothing. Any explanation or recommendations you guys can give me. Sorry for my bad English. My husband and I were at the now abandoned Century 3 Mall in West Mifflin, Pennsylvania. I found a bench in the mall for my husband to sit on while I headed to the men's department in G.C. Penny. While I was there, I had a surreal encounter. I spotted a creature that resembled an alien or an extraterrestrial. There was another woman in the area with her young children, and they were hastily leaving. Her son expressed curiosity, saying, I want to see. But the mother firmly replied, No, you can't. Let's go now. I noticed a peculiar small gray figure about four half inches tall, wearing a red or black plaid shirt and blue pants. He was standing near a clothes rack. I briefly observed him from the side and then looked away. When I glanced back, he had turned to face me. I can vividly recall his appearance. A male figure with no hair, gray skin, almond, shaped black eyes, and a heavily wrinkled, lumpy face that appeared far from human, somewhat resembling an insect. Out of politeness, I looked away again, and when I glanced back once more, he had vanished. I decided to approach the register to seek out security, but there was no one around. I wasn't particularly afraid, strangely enough. 
In fact, the little man had a pleasant smile on his face. Nevertheless, I chose to leave the store as my husband and I had plans to attend a movie. I attempted to tell my husband about the encounter, but he advised me to wait until after the movie. I remember sitting in the dark theater at the back near the exit door. Every time the door opened, I couldn't help but look to see if the strange creature had reappeared. As time passed, I began to feel increasingly apprehensive. It's astonishing that I completely forgot about the encounter, and that I didn't mention it to my husband until two months later when I came across a UFO article in the Tribune Review newspaper. The article somehow jogged my memory. I've always prided myself on my excellent memory and my ability to recall details from years past, so it surprised me that I had repressed this memory. I can't help but believe that the creature's intense gaze had something to do with the memory slipping away. Interestingly, the newspaper article mentioned a UFO sighting in Jefferson Hills, very close to the mall, around the same time I had my inexplicable experience. Since then, I've taken to referring to the enigmatic being as the Sikada Man. There were three of us, Mary, her mother Dorothy, and myself. We were in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, near our homes in Chippensburg. We went shopping at a mall and were returning home. Mary was getting ready to go to nursing school. She was buying a few things, and the stores closed at 9 p.m. We were coming back from, and Mary hated driving on, Interstate 80. Once so we always took the rural back roads, and it was a perfectly clear night. A million stars visible in some moonlight. And it was just, you know, a lovely drive. And out of nowhere, there were these lights that came up behind us. Mary thought that somebody wanted to pass, so she put her arm out and she said, Pass, pass. And she slowed down and they didn't pass. But they were close and it was annoying her. So she stopped the car and she said, I want to find out what is going on. And her mother said, Mary, don't get out of this car. Just stop. Let them go. Ignore them. And she said, no. Maybe something's wrong. Ever the caregiver, Nurse Mary. I was in the back seat. I got out of the car as well. Mary was 18 and I was 17. So I got out of the car and I was on the passenger side of the car. Mary was on the driver's side of the car. She walked to the rear of the car and I was already pretty much there. There was this object. There were no lights this time. When we stopped and got out of the car, the lights were gone. You couldn't even see where there had been headlights or anything. It was perfectly smooth. It wasn't square in shape. It wasn't oblong or like a hot dog or anything like that. It sort of had a rise in the center from the top as though it rose in the bottom. It appeared to be flat and the sides were curved but very smooth. There was not a sound at all, not an engine, not a hum, nothing. It was absolutely quiet. I wasn't frightened because we didn't feel threatened. I mean, I actually touched it. I was so fascinated with it because I didn't know what it was made of. In later years, I came to realize that it was like titanium. It was perfectly black, and the moonlight made it look shiny. Mary started asking, Hello, do you want to talk to us? I'm not afraid. And I said, I'm not afraid either. I said, would you like to speak to us? Would you like to ask us questions? 
We'd like to ask you questions. Don't be afraid. We're not afraid. We were kids, you know. Now Mary's mother is in the front seat crying hysterically. Get in the car. Get in the car. I don't like this. I'm frightened. And Mary's just, Ma, shut up. This is the amazing thing. It just lifted straight up without making a sound. It elevated as if to go up, and while it was right in front of it, I mean, I wasn't a foot from it. I could put my arm out and touch it, and it just lifted straight up and just sort of took off as it took off. Lights around it started circling, different colors, and we could see people inside, and we waved. Yeah, we waved goodbye. They were too far away, but they appeared to be human. They had heads, necks, shoulders, and arms. Mary said, they don't have five fingers. And see, I wasn't looking at the fingers. We were waving to them, saying goodbye, and they waved back to us. I know it's somewhat common, and many people have similar experiences, but this is what happened. Yesterday I bought some new jewelry and had it wrapped up in a paper envelope, which I placed in my tote bag, about the size of a smartphone. As soon as I got back home, I saw the envelope in my toe and remembered thinking, oh, I almost forgot about it. I need to take it out and put it in the jewelry box later on. I left my bag undisturbed in my bedroom, and that was that. One hour later, I opened the tote bag to retrieve the envelope, but it wasn't there. I was confused because I distinctly remembered seeing it and leaving it inside, but it had vanished. I emptied the bag, searched around my room, and ended up looking everywhere in my home for hours. It was gone. I was so confused that I even began to doubt my own memory. I've always had a suspicion, though not certainty, that my house might be haunted, so as a last resort, I said out loud, Hey, if anyone out there took it, please give it back. This isn't right. We both coexist here peacefully, and I respect you, but please respect me too. I continued searching, looked at the bag several times, turned it upside down, emptied it completely, and even resorted to shining my iPhone's flashlight inside. Still, there was nothing. I went to bed and woke up this morning. As I was about to leave and reached for the tote bag, which was empty, there it was, right in the middle of the bag. I can't adequately describe how I felt. I was so freaked out that I even shed real tears. It's never happened to me before. I've been confused and freaked out all day and can't stop thinking about it. It was impossible. I live alone. No one got in. And the envelope was big enough not to be overlooked. I don't know what to do. I'm going crazy. If this is paranormal, I'm freaked out. If this isn't paranormal, I'm still freaked out. I'm in good health and feel fine. People have been trying to calm me down by suggesting it's impossible, and maybe I was so nervous that I simply didn't see it, but I, I know that isn't true. I don't know what to do. When I was younger, around 11, 12 years old, I'm now 22, I used to play football with my friend who lived in my neighborhood. We played every night, but our parents would make us come in early because we lived in a poor neighborhood, and the street light was always broken, making it too dark. One night it was fixed, so our parents allowed us to stay out a little longer. 
Our friends were facing the streetlight and had just drop-kicked the ball. We had to retrieve it, and right as we turned around, we saw a man. He was wearing a business suit, a top hat, and carrying a briefcase. Since I live in Arizona, where it can get really hot, and it was over 200 degrees out, it was strange to see him standing there. The streetlight was about 50 feet away, and our house was another 100 feet in the other direction. We started walking towards him, and when we got about 20 feet away, we couldn't see his face. It was just black under the streetlight. He started slowly walking towards us, and we decided to walk away. After about 10 steps, he began sprinting toward us at full speed. We never looked back. We just heard his shoes clacking on the ground. Right as we got to our house, he was about five feet away from us. We closed the gate, and he just stopped and stared at us. Every time we told or tell our mom about this, she looked shocked, shuts us down, and runs to another room. If anyone knows who or what it was, please tell me.